Welcome to Frameline. I'm Barbara Gosowski, here as usual with my favorite critic, Courtney Small. Hello, how are you today? Great, how are you? Oh, not too bad. Got a lot of great stuff to talk about today. Yes, uh, there's a lot of big films opening. Um, and there is an amazing local festival, Rendezvous with Madness, is celebrating yet another year. This is the first and largest, one of the largest uh, festivals mm -hmm. about mental health awareness that, you know, in North America, at least. So uh, it's been a fixture on the local scene for a long time. So save that for later. First, uh, you want to start us off? on uh, one of the big films opening um this week sure vision to leave by everybody well if it's not he if he's not your favorite park chan wook um there's a lot uh you could catch up on and uh, you will definitely enjoy but here here's his latest decision to leave yes decision to leave and you know park chan wook has done a lot of great stuff in the past everything from old boy to thirst to the handmaiden He's one of those um, filmmakers I love because he's kind of playing with genre and often brings you something different and unique. And I, I think Decision to Leave is actually one that you'll probably want to see multiple times just because the way how he plays with genre in this film is, is quite fascinating. And for me, watch this is the second time that I watched it because I saw that tiff and I got even more out of it the second time once you knew where all the pieces fall into place and for decision to leave the, the the premise of it is a detective has been assigned this case about a man who has died on a mountain and the detective hai june believes that this deceased man's wife um, co ray is the possible culprit but he can't quite prove it and as he's investigating this case he kind of becomes infatuated with this woman to the point where He's doing a little additional stalking, probably outside of the the normal um, police procedural bounds, and he can't quite place her completely at the scene of the crime. But he's trying his best to do it. And as he's stalking her, in many ways, she starts to size up him, and this weird cat and mouse game turns into a bit of a romance. And something happens later on where. There's another death. She is once again the suspect, but things things that happen at the beginning start to come into question again in, in the second half of the film. And, and that's as far as I, I will say, because I think the, the joy of this film is really watching the, the dynamics between these two individuals unfold. And for a film that's essentially a thriller, you know, it touches on themes of noir. It's also darkly funny there's a lot of humor in it and then it's also got this tragic romance that is so palpable throughout it's it's such a unique film that it, i appreciate it the first time but it, I, the second viewing was where i really kind of fell in love with it absolutely i agree with everything you said i would just highlight the romance even more than you did mm -hmm. um, and that is because uh, i this is also my second time watching it and I agree, you should watch this film as many times as you can in the future, uh, because you definitely will get more and more out of it. And that is because of what you said, Park Chan Wook's ability and his um, his desire to play with uh, genres and to play with form and style. 
And the way that that happens in this film, I mean, he takes a neo-noir basic story, you know, which is there's this femme fatale. And even though she seems bad, this guy, see, you know, the good guy seems to be falling for her and definitely does. And in noir, it's more like an attraction. I would argue that this starts becoming more of a romance. Like the first half of the film seems more basic, um, more like, all right, he's, go he's going over noir territory here, murder mystery kind of territory. Um, and, and his parks uh, focus on detail, just like his character. His character is very detail oriented and that's how he, he goes through and analyzes a crime scene. And that's how he reconstructs a crime scene. Well, Park, in doing that for his character, right? Letting us see how his character does that, he starts to dissect the form in all the genres. I mean, he does have like, let's face it, thriller, mystery, romance, noir. They're all, they can all be separate, right? Genres and separate styles. But it's like Park is di dissecting all of it and creating sort of this synthesis and that synthesis creates a greater emphasis on the romance like it make it elevates the romance past an attraction this forbidden love thing and it elevates it and, and like you have to watch it but there's this like for example that like the mirroring technique that noir loves to use you know people you see things through mirrors you see things through windows well he extends that by um, mirroring perspectives, individual, the two characters' perspectives on things, on each other, and how things start to blend. And that may sound complicated to someone who hasn't seen the film, but just watch, just watch, like keep your eyeballs open and let Park, Park knows how to lead you through a film. So trust in the director and trust in the process. And you'll see, you'll come out of this with a greater, it will have a greater impact because of the way that he's put it together. He won the best director at Cannes this past year. And yeah, I, you can totally see why because of everything that he's managing and everything that he's manipulating. Yeah, there's this, you know, to bounce off your point about the mirror, there's a lot of, subtle moments in this film where you know the detective might be observing something from the outside and then the next scene plays out in a way where he's literally in the room you know be it through his own imagination his fantasy listening to her respond to him over the phone it's there's a lot of interesting camera tricks um and visual tricks that really enhance the the romance between these two characters enhance the flirtation the cat and mouse play it's yeah it's it's quite a, a good film and i highly highly recommend that one yeah absolutely it's, it's definitely one of my favorites i've seen this year uh, do you want to take a few minutes because i know you saw the new martin mcdonough film um with yeah. that stars colin farrell and brendan gleason do you want to talk about that one because that's been getting a lot of um positive buzz as well Yes, uh, this is another one of my favorite. I mean, I know I'm declaring all these favorites all of a sudden lately, but. No, it's been me, a good year for film so far. 
Yeah, it has been. And uh, The Banshees of Inishirin by Martin McDonough, as you said, the same director of three billboards outside of Elving. Missouri, I think. Missouri, yeah. He, um, and in Bruges, he made in Bruges with this exact same couple of actors with Colin Farrell and Brendan Gleeson. And he's sort of using that dynamic that those two actors have together and really uh, having fun with it in a lot of ways in this film. And I'll just call it Banshees for short. So in Banshees, it's it's the story of two old friends. It take, This f- film is in 1923. It's on this fictional island just off the coast of Ireland. It's almost... Um, it's almost like an unbelievable place. It's got rainbows and like the green is really green of the grass and the clovers and all that. And it's a tiny community. And so there's these two old friends, uh, best friends uh, played by those two. And um, Colin Farrell plays Podrick and uh, Brendan Gleeson is uh, Colin. So one day Podrick goes to call on Colin, but Colin is not there. And when he finally finds it, Colin announces, done with this relationship. I just don't want to be friends anymore. I don't have time for it. So through the course of this film, Padre, who's a really, really nice guy. So there's a, there's a lot of, this is a black comedy. Okay. Uh, most, so it's mostly really dark, like sometimes like just unbelievably wickedly dark. Um, even though it's got this beautiful setting and stuff, things start to shift, uh, but not in like, it's like not noticeably creepy. It's all in the dynamics, right? And the next scene, you know, like you start finding out more and Podrick is just like insisting on like finding out from Colin and not believing Colin. He just doesn't believe that this lifelong friendship is over and that Colin could actually be, be right, like could actually be saying this. And so Colin has to like resort to ways of making it clear and the relationship just devolves and the whole situation devolves and in fact it's almost like the social order of the whole community devolves Mm. because it's so tiny that everything that happens there like if you move everyone in the community finds out about it like if you like take two steps backwards you know, like yeah. using an extreme example, if you take two steps backwards, they'll be talking about it at the post office in two hours. Mm-hmm. Like that's, you know, there's one pub. And uh, so McDonough builds up this sense of time and place, but he eventually creates um, a sense of a universality, you know, that there's like something to the dynamics here and there's something to the breakdown of this relationship and the dispute and how disputes can get out of control. And that's that's basically what all I'm gonna say. No, and, no, it sounds interesting. Yeah. Sounds very good. It sounds also like it's very in many ways timely because there's been a lot of it talk is. about that's ex- divided that's cultures exactly. and society. Yeah. That's exactly it. He turns this very specific story into something that um, goes beyond its locale. And becomes something that we can all relate to, all of us on this planet. Oh, that yeah. sounds very good. I have to add that to my to see list. Must see, definitely.
Um, how about we change gears for a bit? We know we've been talking a lot of big titles, but there's a really cool film festival, as Barbara mentioned to start off. Um, the Rendezvous with Madness Festival. It's in its 30th year, celebrating 30 years, um, starting October 27th, and I think going through to November 6th. And it's this year they're doing a hybrid. So you can screen things virtually, and also you can go to in-person screenings as well so there's a lot to see i believe there's art exhibits performance pieces we're going to focus mainly on the cinema aspect of it uh, but did you want to maybe start off by sharing your thoughts on my two voices my two voices by local filmmaker lena rodriguez we have talked about her features on this this program um maybe one or two of them in the past she, you know she's a relatively new filmmaker this is her first uh, feature documentary as far as i know um excuse me and my two voices is in spanish with english subtitles it is about it's a story of three women that so lena takes three women's stories of coming to canada of being immigrants and their experiences as immigrants and their experiences trying to fit in trying to learn english you know, basic things like that. And um, she really brings them to life uh, with, I thought, with the way that she puts the film together. I mean, so like yes. what I said about the film, that's basically it. It's three women's stories interwoven. And uh, so in terms of the, the structure and the style, that's what makes it so successful. Lena keeps it simple. We don't see their faces. We see their hands a lot. We see, you know, if they're working in the garden, we see flowers, we see, we see all sorts of stuff. And that kind of simplicity and indirectness allows us to, you know, have a visual to focus on while we're listening. And for me, it really helped me to get into their experiences and, and really, um, if it's possible to experience someone else's story, to, to really feel each story and to feel the consequences of, of something, some of the things that these women were talking about, some of the, the, the realities that they faced and, and some of the things that they felt inside. Um, and My Two Voices, the, the actual title, refers to the experience of an immigrant as, you know, someone who comes from a certain culture, has a certain language, and then is coming here and learning English so that when they speak in their own language, they're speaking as themselves, they can be themselves. But when they're speaking in English, especially at first, before they're really adapted into the culture, they are speaking in another voice. That's, that it feels like, you know, it's not quite. And so it's, it's, it's really interesting, the process that she shows us of how these women get into and start becoming more, you know, Canadian in their identities. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah I completely, I, I agree with you with everything you said. I, I thought this was a really fascinating film. And, you know, at first it took a while for me to adjust to the fact that we weren't actually seeing these people. Like I thought, oh, it's kind of cool that, you know, you're seeing the, the hands as they're gardening, you're seeing feet. Um, as you know, they're sweeping. And then you realize, oh, the entire film is going to be like this. But, you know, once you hit that realization, it really does 
um, force you to focus a lot more on what's being said. You know, the visuals are, are nice, but you really get some interesting, harrowing stories of what led them to come to Canada as immigrants, but then also the harsh realities of what it means to become a Canadian. You know, we all we look at the immigration process as something that, you know, you just apply, you come in, you do what's right, and you live the Canadian dream, quote unquote. Whereas here, you hear hardships even from like having to fill out the forms and the type of boxes that they're already put in just to apply to get here. And then, you know, one person was talking about um, having to take jobs as cleaners, cleaners of homes, bathrooms, fast food joints, just to, to get by. And these are people who had, you know, careers, certain standings in life, a home, and then they're coming to do these type of, of jobs here and, and, and dealing with a lot of the disrespect that's associated with that it was it's a really fascinating film and it, it did have me thinking a lot about immigration from the canadian perspective and how not only how fractured our our system is but how we treat immigrants that are here i think this does a, a really fascinating job and by not letting us see the individuals it's not like a talking head stop where you would see the face you take these experiences and put them on a whole swath of people instead of just going, Oh, well, that was just her experience. Well, that was just that particular woman. Now you realize that no, this is like a universal type of tale. So I, I thought that was a really fascinating film. Absolutely. I totally agree. And I, I recommend it highly. That's my two voices. I can talk about one that I enjoyed. So the film that, that I want to highlight is called Jamil and Tim. And it's by uh, Michelle Thomas. It's a documentary about these two black gay men who at different points uh, in their life ended up dead at the West Hollywood home of Ed Buck. And Ed Buck was a man who was a big political donor. He was a Republican that eventually became a Democrat. And through his contributions, you know, he donated to everyone from like Hillary Clinton to Obama to Gavin Newsom, like a who's who. And he was very much a big name in the community, openly gay man, but Buck just was a big name in the community. As this film unfolds, you learn that, well, maybe Buck isn't the, the saint that he perceives himself to be in the media. And, and what I really liked about this film is it takes it tells the story of Jamil and Tim, and it's told based from the perspective of their friends, their, you know, a few family members, but also the, the friends that were essentially their chosen family. And Jamil Moore uh, was a young man. I believe he died at the age of 26. Um, and Timothy Williams, who was also known as Timothy Dean, I believe he died in his late 50s, but they they both died of overdoses at the home of buck and things being as they are in in america both of those deaths were ruled as being accidents even though they happened in the same location pretty much the same manner within a two-year period and it was only because of community activists um a journalist who was unrelenting in her trying to bring this story to the masses that police organizations and the media started to put the pressure 
on individuals higher up to really look at these cases. And it's a fascinating film about addiction. Um, the, the, you know, you learn a lot about how the uh, crystal meth is really ravished the Los Angeles community, but also really about how gay men and black gay men are often not considered worth public attention, not worth proper policing. Um, and individuals like Buck, who's a white man, big donor, even though he's living in subsidized housing, which they never quite explore in this film. But I really want to know more about, you know, he's, he's giving away all this money and yet he's living in rent control housing. He yeah. his word is is golden. Like no matter what he says, the police and higher officials just happen to believe him or are willing to cover for him. So it's, it's a really fascinating yeah. film. Yeah, it's almost like he's got some sort of immunity or or maybe it's just the assumption. There's an mm -hmm. assumption with the authorities that are always white. He, he can't be that bad because it's got to be the fault of these black men. That 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 seems to be like an assumption that rises up from the film, especially from all these voices. I mean, well, first we hear the news reports of the deaths. So those those don't really give us much. They just give us these like outward appearance like of how the, the how it was reported right um and then as you said but when the journalist she when she starts to to uncover things then we start to get a better picture but in the meantime the film's strategy of putting all of these elements together with like the you know the talking heads of friends and chosen family and and people who knew these individuals together with, mixed together with these animated sequences that really augment some of the things that individuals are uh, putting a focus on, you know, uh, putting a focus on to tell you more about either Jamil or Tim. So that like, it's, it's accentuating um, some like character trait or something that Jamil was about and something that Tim was like, right? And so this animation has that, you know, magic power that animation sometimes has mm -hmm. is to just fill something in and just lift it up and, and make it more, you know, in its own way, make it more real so that we get like a better sense of each person as a person, yep. right? And so that, especially by the time the film moves into the community action and the invest, especially the investigative journalism that she does and the court battles and the, you know, we are definitely, we know these people, we know these men, we, we, we see the injustice and we're right there with them. You know, this is like, this is like, um, it feels like an act of activism almost just, yes engaging with the film yeah and that's what i really liked about the this film is i like that i felt like i knew these men even though i have never met them like the film yeah. does such a good job of you know saying yes there's this kind of murder mystery element to it but these were actual people here yes, are the people here are their joys their flaws yeah. exactly so you you care about them you, you know it's it's heartbreaking when you get to know them and about like you know the drug addiction who had to do what for for money the different paths they they chose 
the the relationships what have you so that when the the, the real tragedy hits you feel like you have lost someone there. and i think it does a, it, that uh, that approach is wonderful because there's a point in this film where they talk about media perception and how when it comes to crime and violence and stuff the media tends to present black people and black men specifically a certain way they always try to justify the crime so if a black man has died died for some reason it must have been justified he must have been a drug addict a villain what have you whereas other people don't get that and you think about even if we just take the out of the context of this particular film it, it happens to anything like if you hear about a police officer getting shot if the individual is a white person that shot the police officer you don't even know the person's name it's all lone wolf mental health whereas if it's a black person who shot a police officer they'll find like his nickname from high school you know that type of yeah thing and to then vilify. he must have been wicked that the exactly. shooter has got to have automatically instead of maybe a mental illness like they afford the other the, the white guy mm-hmm. yeah and, it, and, guy. and you see that play out in in this film in such fascinating ways and then you think that this is not just an instance happened this was a four-year fight to get people to actually take notice to get the police to do their job to get government officials to actually put on some some pressure and i also want to point out that Jamil and Tim. Jamil died in 2017 and Tim was in 2019. So this is very recent. You know, you might hear this tale and think, oh, this happened back in like the 90s, the 80s. Like this is modern day and like this is still going on. So it, it was a really fascinating film that um I think a lot of people should see. It was it was very well done. Yeah, I totally agree. And you know, I think this is gonna segue into the last film, right? But I think that the way the film Jamil and Tim handled like the way that we were talking about the way that they built up a sense of these individuals as people mm-hmm. was also really important in the sense that we got to know and care about people that were otherwise classified as drug addicts. Yes. You yes. know that that's another thing where society just brushes the person aside doesn't uh, give them in any individual consideration doesn't that there's a you know a public perception that well who cares it was just a drug addict that's the one of the great things about this festival is that it it delves into like it shows us artwork that delves into issues not just uh, issues around mental health but it issues around drug addiction which is like comorbidity you know happening at the same time um as mental health they're, they're very much connected mm-hmm. um so it's important that that uh, addiction is also considered as something not to blame a person for like not to write a person off for and that uh, uh, besides the addiction there's a, a person there yes. that people care about and that deserves caring like we that person deserved to be cared about no matter what and i think that's a perfect segue into yeah. um, Midways by yeah. director Liz Roberts. Do you want to talk a bit about that one? Yes, I love this film. It's a it's a short, but um, Liz Roberts is the artist spotlight at this festival. So um, you can find out more about her uh, if you Google the, the festival and uh, Google Liz Roberts. But there will be a, a conversation. She's running a virtual workshop on 
November the 1st about creating autobiographical films. So I did love this, this film, Midwaste. Um, I love autobiographical films when they're done really well. And this one, I mean, it's concise. It's really like a taut structure, but it's got this rough aesthetic and that goes along with her story of having a rough life. If that I mean, sounds simplistic to sort of equate the two, but having her struggles with addiction and, and uh, sort of giving us a sense of an imagery from imagery from her struggles, imagery from her past. She shows us, she starts the film with super eight footage. The very first stuff that she shot when she was a teenager and she's shooting friends and she's, you know, she's not making anything pretty, but it's that rough aesthetic that, that really, I thought, allowed us a sense of raw emotion. And it, because there's a lot of raw emotion here, there's a lot of honesty here. She's very honest about herself, about her struggles, about her recovery, about, and her friends are honest and, so it's 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 only 23 minutes, but it gives us a deep somehow this rough aesthetic just gives us this like deep dive into the world that she had inhabited and give us a sense of her mindset around like where she's coming from. So it's an amazing point of view and perspective that she gives us. Um and it's like, you know, it's totally heartfelt, you know, as well. Like it's totally heartbreaking and heartfelt and I you, you just feel I just felt for her you know I really felt for her uh, in this sort of testament yeah I found it was a, a really fascinating film and I liked the visual essay approach and I like that as you said it's concise and it, it's taught in its presentation because it starts off and you think okay she's just going to be talking about her life in, as a filmmaker and her early films and then you see how the addiction part is woven in but then she's talking to friends you know at least the friends that and acquaintances that are still around about those early days and it really offers a unique perspective of addiction but also addiction by social class because when she's talking about um life in like iowa city and the type of addiction and as she's going through her life you start to realize that even though she, you know the addiction was really grappling her and her friends there was still a level of privilege in it like she there's a reference yes. where she, where she yes, talks about absolutely. her not i think she only had an encounter with the police once where she was i think arrested or something she goes a lot of the times she knew it like they, she, the way yeah. she looks back on it she's like she's like she knew that she was being treated that way because she was white mm -hmm. sorry to interrupt no no i was gonna yeah. say like there's 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 one particular part where she talked about it was like some raid or something and the the police officer just naturally assumed that she was in the area because she got lost you know she couldn't be a drug addict and then even how they talk about um people taking certain drugs and certain communities certain rural white communities being on addicted to painkillers in large masses and that led to that was before oxycontin and um the the epidemic that we have now with drugs and again the tough on crime stance and whatnot through the 90s and everything that she grew up in never applied to her you know never applied to, to her so even with the whole oxycontin 
craze and prescription drugs, again, it's primarily because it's impacting white communities, right? That that's it's now such a, a big thing. So I thought I thought that was really fascinating. And then my favorite moment, I've been thinking about this a lot, was at the very end where she says, you know, I was not bad then and I'm not good now. Right. Yes. And, and and that yes. really makes you think about how we look at addicts, how we look at people who are recovering. The, the type of boxes we put them in, they don't actually fit in those boxes. And I, and it's just a, a really fascinating work that went a lot deeper and in different directions than I was expecting in its short um, time frame. Yes. And that, that quote that, uh, that you just provided, it also made it crystal clear to, to us, the viewer, that the whole notion that, I mean, we're dealing with, with people here. We're all people. Nobody's perfect. There's, what is this concept of you know normal even? Like that's what it, that's where my mind went. You know that like the greatest thing that someone who was a is a recovering alcoholic once said to me was he he learned that normal it, like, there's no such thing. Normal is just setting on a dishwasher. That's that's all that normal is, right? <laughs> so yeah, so this like good. I'm a good person. I'm a bad person. It's like it's nonsense. That's <laughs> it's true. Like, it's not real. <laughs> so <laughs> yeah, so there's a lot of. I know there's a, a film that's playing. We talked about it at Sundance. Um, and I don't mean to put you on the spot here, but. Do you just want to give a, a quick shout out to I didn't see you there because I, I I know you saw that one at Sundance and yeah I, this is the, this is I I can't stop thinking about this like every time I see that it's playing somewhere I'm like yes everybody go see that and it's a film he did he did win the a director's award at Sundance Reed okay. Davenport and I think it's uh, it goes sort of in the same vein as uh, the the film we've been talking about. Uh, at least Robert's film, Midwaste, in the sense that they're both a little, like they're experimenting with form a little bit, which uh, which is not a scary thing. It's, it's very inviting. And in fact, the innovation is what really, all of these films I think that we've been talking about, there's a lot of innovation going on. Yes, yes, yeah. there is. And that, that really elevates it. And I think that makes the experience more, it's, it's just uh, makes it more poignant, makes it deeper, go deeper, you know, inside the viewer. Anyway, Reed Davenport made a film called I Didn't See You There. He um, he has cerebral palsy. He's in a wheelchair and he wanted people to understand his perspective. And he also wanted just a, a general statement about and a general examination about how someone who's not traditionally capable you know, tr traditional physical capabilities um is looked upon in society and forgotten and he, so basically the film is shot from his point of view he doesn't you know use any camera like tripods or anything he just he's in his wheelchair going down the street and what that does is it gives you the perspective of a, like a day in the life, but it's more than a day in the life. Um, it, you get insights to, to basic things like people blocking the sidewalk where 
you know, he can go down like that little rampy part where he can go down. People are blocking that cars, blocking that. So it's like, how is he supposed to, you know, it, that part of the sidewalk was made for him. How is he supposed to get off there? People don't think because people don't realize because people, you know, I didn't see you there is like, that's the title. So the film has got that going on visually, but then on top of that, he is being very honest with his thoughts. And he's, he's also um, providing some real insights and really going, uh, showing us his thought process, allowing us into his thought process about the history of people with physical disabilities and the whole history of ableism. And it, it, you have to watch the film. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the best, best thing I could say is I highly recommend it. I didn't see you there. It has been playing everywhere, which is um, something that I think should let you know that a lot of people like it. A lot of people are programming it. So, you know, people want you to see it, not just me. No, that sounds great. And that's only, you know, what, four films that we recommended of, of the of the 30 that are playing. So you really can't go wrong with this festival. And it will definitely get people thinking about mental health, wellness, recovery, addiction in, in new lights and, and get people talking, which is definitely what you really want to have is, is more conversations about this and make it a lot more open. Yes, yes. And the great thing about the festival is there is a lot of conversation happening in and around all the art. There's a lot of talks and workshops and yeah, just look them up, get your get yourself down there. Get yourself online, you know, engage with this festival. Yeah, and so. the festival is being presented by Workman Arts. So if you just go to workmanarts.com and click on Rendezvous with Madness, you'll get all the ticket information that you need for that. All right. So there you go. Okay, so that's it for another edition of Frameline. Thank you for listening. For Courtney Small, I'm Barbara Gosowski. Take care. <laughs>